0: welcome to the Pandemic Puppy Podcast, brought to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm super excited to be here raising my puppy alongside all of you. Although I'm a professional dog trainer, this is my first time raising a puppy as well. And today, it is just me on the episode, and we're going to be talking a little bit about stranger danger for our puppies. What that looks like, what we can do about it, why it happens, you know, all the big basic questions about stranger danger. Okay. Um, Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can support this podcast by joining our Patreon. For just three bucks a month, you get to submit questions and interact more directly with me over on that page. And again, it helps pay our lovely editor and everything else that keeps this podcast going. If you need even more support, you can also join my Puppy Raising Blueprint course, which is available self-study online if you go to journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. All right, so stranger danger. So if your puppy is nervous of strangers, um, strange people in particular, that's what we're talking about here in this episode. And this is on my mind because actually my puppy Niffler is struggling with this. So let's talk about what stranger danger is isn't, um, or what's kind of commonly confused with stranger danger to start out with, and then we'll kind of get into why it happens and what to do about it. So a lot of times I think fearful puppy behavior gets written off as a quote-unquote fear period when that's not quite right, and that can be really, really harmful. So a fear period is an abrupt and transient Fear of something that your puppy has already been exposed to. So if your puppy is consistently scared of your roommate or is scared of one in three strangers and has been for a week or anything like that, that is not a fear period. So what I saw um, that I would attribute to a fear period in Niffler was we walk at the same trailhead every single day and um, there is a trash can near where I park my car. So we see that trash can you know, at least twice a day, because we see it when we get out of the car and we see it when we return to the car. And I had two days in a row where Niffler got out of the car, stopped dead staring at, the, um, at that trash can, barked furiously a bunch, ran away with his hackles up, and then recovered pretty well. Um, and after one, maybe two days of that, he was totally fine. Um, and it was something he'd seen multiple times before. All of a sudden it was weird, and then all of a sudden it was fine again. That is a fear period. So again, if your puppy is displaying nervous behavior somewhat consistently or over the course of at least a couple days, if not several weeks with something, that is not something we want to attribute to a fear period. And this is important because kind of best practice with fear periods is more or less to ignore them um, and to just kind of carry on, not make a big deal out of something, you know, you can comfort your puppy, but really it's pretty much just move on and not make a big deal out of anything versus if your puppy is actually consistently struggling with stranger danger or fear reactivity or, you know, whatever we want to call it, that actually is something that we want to jump on and start addressing right away. As you'll remember from our socialization episodes with Dr. Jen Summerfield and Bryony Aviles, socialization is a big part of preventing and managing fear responses in our puppies. You can actually go back and listen to those socialization episodes to learn a little bit more about how to properly help socialize your puppy to the presence of strangers and get them used to strangers. And basically, for a young puppy, it's going to be gently exposing them at a distance that they're comfortable and then closing that distance over time. We may add in some counter conditioning, but for really young puppies, it's going to be a a lot more about kind of this gentle exposure. So let's talk about what I'm seeing with my puppy, Niffler, um, and then we can start talking a little bit about the causes of Stranger Danger, and then finally we'll pivot again into what what we can do about it. So my puppy, Niffler... um, was born on a farm in Idaho. We live in rural Montana, um, and it's a pandemic, and I got him in December. So we've got a lot of things going against us as far as kind of socialization goes. Basically, it has been um, challenging to expose him to enough people in enough different scenarios to really kind of prevent um, stranger danger from cropping up. Um, we do go hiking off leash every single day, but the area that we go pretty much every day, um, is actually, it's a little fishing area about a quarter mile from my house and nobody really hikes there, which is part of the reason I like it, but also means that Niffler just really has very little experience running into people on trails. So our kind of consistent issue with Niffler right now is that he gets very startled by people on trails and sometimes will dart away from them, sometimes he runs behind them to sniff them, and sometimes, particularly if they stop and try to talk to him or look at him, he will actually bark and growl at them. And as he's getting older, he's about six months old now, his bark is starting to sound pretty scary and pretty intense. So it's not fun for anyone. Um, it's really embarrassing for me, and I'm sure it's distressing for him. And it's no fun for people either to see see a cute puppy and then have that puppy bark and growl at them. So we, we've worked through his stranger danger to a point where I thought it was going really well about a month ago. Um, we had one really nasty hike, um, where I took him on, um, took him out in California and was really surprised at how much he struggled with people on that hike. Um, so I went and worked really hard on him, did he, did a bunch of the counter conditioning and desensitization exercises that we're going to talk about later in this episode. And I was really happy with the progress he made, um, And then I kind of led up for a couple weeks, um, uh, I guess a week or two. And then um, we had another hike last week where um, my older dog, Barley, um, got spooked by a child. The child kind of sat down on a rock and stared at Barley and was hoping Barley would approach him. So he was kind of talking to Barley. And Barley kind of rounded the corner. And um, normally he's quite good with kids, but this kid just kind of sitting down and staring at him and all that, for whatever reason, um, that really freaked Barley out. So he backed up barking at the kid. And that really set Niffler off. Niffler got really freaked out. And then for the rest of that hike, Niffler was barking um, and hiding behind me whenever we saw anyone on the hike. Again, and Niffler did go to a puppy kindergarten class and tends to be really social with people in that environment. He also tends to be really social with my friends. Um, And people that we run into while we're hiking who have dogs, he's quite social with as well. I've been able to take him to places um, and walk around the exterior of crowded places like farmer's markets. He's been to Lowe's. He's been to Home Depot. Um, He went to a dog-friendly bookstore a couple times. And he does really well in those environments. So what he's kind of consistently struggling with is more on the trail where people appear. So one of the things, and I tell you guys all of that because I want you guys to start getting really curious and observant with your dogs about specifically where their stranger danger may pop up or may not, um, because that can really help us um, strategize our training. So for me with Niffler, I'm obviously really focusing on trail encounters, and I'm also trying to use some of the things I know about what makes him okay. Um, to my advantage to help set up my training. So for example, Niffler tends to be better if people have dogs. Niffler tends to be better if people don't stop and talk to him. Niffler tends to be better if he can see people coming from a little ways away versus if they kind of pop out of the bushes abruptly. So I am strategizing where I take him for hikes right now to ensure that he's having these really consistently good experiences. So luckily in Missoula, we have a lot of these really big, open, grassy hills Um that are very popular for hiking, and a lot of people take their dogs there. And what I'm able to notice there is because most of the people have dogs, most of the people are hiking, so they're moving on their own, and it's nice and grassy and hilly. Um, we're having really, really good success there. And I'm kind of gradually starting to take him to more and more places that may have fewer dogs or may have more trees or less visibility or or some of those things to start making it more challenging. Um, And again, because I'm not talking to you, I don't know you, I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like for your puppy, but try to get really observant about what situations are easier and harder for your puppy so that you can start to leverage those easier situations situations in order to get success with the harder ones. Okay, so let's talk about why stranger danger comes up. To a degree, fear of novelty, also known as neophobia, is entirely normal. Um, And we have made this stronger in our dogs, in a lot of our breeds of dogs, because even um, our dogs that are not bred to be guard dogs or guardian breeds, we did at m- many points in human history want our dogs to alert us to intruders. We want our dogs to notice that someone is coming onto our property, etc. That was kind of a point of dogs at a lot of points in our history. So it makes sense that a lot of our dogs are kind of naturally inclined to notice strange people, notice differences in the environment, and alert us to them. So that's part of it. We also then, also we have breeds that are specifically created to be much, much more sensitive to changes in the environment and even to potential threats. So Border Collies, which are the breed that I have, tend to be extremely sensitive to changes in their environment because they were bred for generations to notice if one sheep out of a group of 40 was thinking about going the wrong way um, and, you know, flicked an ear. So for them, seeing a person kind of appear where they weren't expecting, a person can be a really big deal. And then we, when we start talking about a livestock guardian breed like a Great Pyrenees or a guard dog breed like a Malinois or a German Shepherd, um, again, we've been breeding these dogs for many, many generations to notice and potentially take action against strangers and intruders of a variety of species. So that all is very normal. But a lot of those more kind of like traditionally like protective sort of behaviors are more likely to prop, prop up in an adult dog or if you start seeing them around the time of sexual or social maturity in your, in your dog. So if they pop up with your 18-month-old, that there's a good chance it kind of falls into that category. With our puppies, it often, it's it's more likely that things are rooted in kind of anxiety or fear, because our puppies are babies. And so we still may see that this, the tendencies of a guard dog. Um, Gosh, this is really hard to explain well, but the tendencies of a guard dog to notice and respond to intruders, as an adult dog that may show up as kind of confident or protective behavior, in a puppy, they're still going to notice those changes in the environment. They're still going to notice those threats, but they're more likely to respond from kind of an emotional place of fear. And everything I'm saying here is kind of like anecdotes. It's, there's not good science behind this because we can't really ask our dogs what emotion they're feeling when they bark at your neighbor who's taking out their trash. Okay, but these are these are some of the. Explanations. So this again, it comes out because of the genetics of our dogs, and it's normal. Um, then this can be worsened by different genetics within your dog's kind of more specific family tree. So if your dog had a fearful father, or their mother was extremely stressed during pregnancy, all of those things can potentially contribute to the the um the feeling of anxiety or the propensity towards anxiety that your puppy has. Additionally, then we can start thinking about things like socialization. So that is, you know, as we've talked about in previous episodes, the act of kind of exposing your puppy to the things that are going to be normal in life. And puppies, when they're young, are really primed to accept new things into their world as safe. As they get older, they get less and less accepting of that and more and more, again, neophobic, so more and more afraid of new things. So if you've got a really young puppy, exposing them in a positive way to a lot of different people in a lot of different situations can really do a lot to help prevent stranger danger. And then as we get older and we might start seeing stranger danger, we might start noticing gaps that we had in our socialization. And that's okay. We can go back and remedy that. That's exactly my plan with Niffler um, and his stranger danger stuff. But what I suspect with Niffler, both his parents, his whole family going back a long ways, is pretty confident, pretty friendly. That was part of the reason I chose a puppy from this breeding. Um, So, I pretty strongly suspect that this was just an issue with um, with my socialization, and that was a weakness that I anticipated due to raising a puppy in rural Montana in the winter during a pandemic. (laughs) So, you know... I probably should have tried harder, but I guess I, I thought I was doing enough and I, I I wasn't and I was wrong and that's okay. Um we can fix this. So the other thing that could come up um for to kind of potentially cause this would be more along the lines of some actual trauma. So um your puppy could have been exposed to something that really scared them at some point in time, and that can um, occasionally cause what we know what we call single effect single event learning. And that can cause what we call single event learning, where the puppy um, learns to be really afraid of something after just one exposure, or potentially something happened a couple times in a row, um, or a couple times over the, over the course of um, time. <laughs> uh, so there, those are some of the main reasons that stranger danger could come up. So again, we've got genetics, we've got um, on kind of a breed or species level, we've got genetics and hormones and whatnot on more of an individual family level, we've got socialization, and we've got specific experiences. Okay? So, stranger danger is really normal um, and not something that we need to freak out about, but it is definitely something that we want to address. So, the first thing before I start kind of getting into how we're going to deal with stranger danger is I want to head off a couple of the commonly suggested ideas of addressing stranger danger that I want to make sure that we avoid with our puppies. Okay? So in general with stranger danger we are definitely going to be working on trying to create positive associations with your puppy with whatever they're scared of okay so that means that it is really important that we don't rely on correcting the puppy yelling at the puppy jerking on the leash anything like that because while those efforts on our part might interrupt the puppy in the moment, might get them to shut up in that second, which, you know, can be rewarding for us because it's embarrassing for our puppy to be barking and it feels good to be able to get them to stop barking, that is going to backfire in the long run because what just happened is your puppy learned that, oh my gosh, when a stranger shows up on the horizon, my person yells at me. Or hurts me, or scares me in some way, or even just startles me. You know, I'm not talking about abusing your dog here, because I don't think of any any of our listeners are planning on abusing their dogs. But even just kind of startling your puppy in the presence of a stranger can actually make that stranger danger worse. So I'm really going to urge you not to. I know sometimes we might lose our temper, and it's frustrating, and it's embarrassing, and it sucks. So do the best you can. But that's that's really, really important here. The other thing I want to make sure we avoid is I don't want you to go ahead and do what we call flooding with our dogs. So flooding basically is the hope that if you just expose your puppy to enough things, your puppy is going to learn that they weren't that bad and they're going to quote unquote get over the fear. So this is kind of like that old show Fear Factor where you just kind of like take someone who's scared of spiders and like lock them in a tank full of spiders and they don't get bitten and nothing bad happens. And in theory, maybe they, I think they just win money. I don't think the point of this was to cure anyone. Um, But the thing with flooding, well, one of the many things, is it's incredibly stressful for the dog, for the learner, and it often backfires, okay? So it's just really, really not worth the risk because, again, it's so stressful for our dogs, and it it often backfires, and we just don't want to take that risk, okay? So those are kind of the two big things that I think are often suggested for dogs, would be maybe um, maybe correcting them for barking, maybe yelling at them if they growl, and then also just kind of like dragging them to the farmer's market to expose them and help them quote-unquote get over it. So we're not going to do either of those things. Let me kind of walk you through specifically what I'm doing with Niffler, and then I'll kind of pull out the strands of that so that you can try to replicate this with your puppy. So with Niffler, my plan right now is, as I said, I'm kind of strategizing where I'm going to take him for hikes to ensure that I'm taking him to places that challenge him just a little bit with his comfort level. You know, we're just starting to go to places where more people are in the trees or fewer people have dogs or, you know, but just one of those two things right now. And we're just kind of edging our way towards hikes where we might run into more people that are a little bit more concerning to him. Um, But I'm certainly not trying to throw him in the deep end. And then as I've selected where we're going, I'm also making sure to bring treats with me. So I've got a treat pouch full of treats on my hip at all times. And then whenever I see people Especially, and I can kind of tell with Niffler, if Niffler feels comfortable with them, he's going to run up to them with his ears pinned and his tails wagging really, really hard from side to side, almost hitting them in the face. He'll do a little bit of this like grovelly run sort of thing. And then if they greet him, he'll often kind of like run around them to the side, sniff them and then kind of carry on his way. Um, He's got really, really, really beautiful social behavior when he's friendly. Um, versus if he's feeling nervous about someone, he will often stop dead in his tracks 20 to 40 feet away from them and look back at me. So if I see him do that, um, and if he, as he gets more and more nervous, his hackles might start to go up, he might start to ju- uh, kind of jerk away from them or jump away from them, move around really jerkily, and then eventually he will bark or growl or both. Um, So if I see him freeze or I I, I suspect he hasn't seen someone and um, he might be startled when he does notice them, I kind of call out to them in a very friendly voice, you know, some sort of greeting like, hey, how's it going? How's the hike? Beautiful weather? You know, blah, blah, blah. Once they respond, then I say, hey, I've got a pandemic puppy here. Um, He might bark at you. We're just going to kind of move off to the trail and I'm going to give him some treats and I'm going to let you guys pass. Okay? And that does a couple different things. One, it helps establish to Niffler that I see the person, I think they're friendly, I've got the situation under control. I do notice that that really helps. Um, I haven't done this with Niffler, but I have made this mistake with past dogs. If I can't, with past dogs that I'm walking with, um, if I kind of yell at that person or try to scold them or or correct them or interrupt them in any way, you know, if I'm kind of rude or, or uh, scared in any way with that person, that often makes the dog's behavior worse. So I'm really careful with Niffler to always be really friendly to the people. Um... So, that's one thing. The next thing is it gives that person really clear expectations of what's going to happen so that they don't try to approach us. And I've actually had really good luck with that little spiel I gave you. Um, So far, I have not had anyone really try to um, undermine me or, you know, say like, oh, well, I'm really good with dogs, so let me just come say hi or, you know, nothing like that. I haven't had any issues. Um... And uh, that again, it, it, and it helps me kind of plan ahead and prepare. So I'm much less embarrassed if Niffler does have a reaction. And it reminds me of exactly what I'm going to do. Because even though I'm a professional dog trainer, and even though I coach dozens of people every month through this sort of thing, it is still hard for me to deal with emotionally sometimes on my own. So it warns the people um, what's going to happen. It lets Niffler know that I see them and that I feel comfortable with them. And then we do exactly what I said. We'll kind of step off to the side of the trail and And I start giving Niffler treats in a very specific way. So there is what's called a game. There's a game called engage disengage or look at that. Um, Look at that was coined by Leslie McDevitt. And honestly, I don't have the books in front of me to tell you exactly which of these games or what version of them I play. But the basic idea is as we've moved off the trail and we move off the trail to make sure that Niffler has enough distance between him and the people that he stays comfortable because I don't want him to be so scared of them that he's not able to learn. Um, So we move to get ourselves enough distance. Whenever he looks at those people, I'll let him look for a couple seconds. And then I eventually mark with a yes or a good or a bingo. Um, See our episode on marker clicker training, um, if that doesn't ring a bell. And then I give him some food. I do that a couple times where I'm kind of letting him look for a couple seconds and then interrupting him with a marker until he starts kind of getting the feel for it. After a couple repetitions, he's usually able to then look at the person and then look back at me, as if to say, hey, I saw that person, can I have my treat? So we start out with me kind of verbally interrupting him with his marker and feeding, and then he's able to look at them and then look back at me. And what I'm really teaching him is, hey, that person's not a threat. If you look at them, I'm going to give you a treat. And there's a couple different things that I'm also keeping an eye on to make sure that I'm successful with this. The first and potentially most obvious is if my puppy is growling or barking or their hackles are up or they're, they're unable to engage with me in some way because they're having a big reaction, I know that we are too close to the person and they are too freaked out. Okay, so that's one level. That's kind of the worst case scenario. Um, The next level of that you're able to kind of test with this game is to see whether or not your puppy is able to eat, because there are some cases where your puppy maybe isn't barking, but they're too scared to eat or they're too upset to eat. So that's another kind of gauge that you are too close and you need to reassess your training. The next thing is we're able to gauge whether or not our puppy is able to respond to their marker cues, because sometimes the puppy's not barking or growling. And they're also not, and they're also able to eat, you know, they're also willing to eat when you tell them when you offer them food. But if you say yes or say their name, they're not able to kind of look at you and respond to that in any way because they're still too upset. And in an ideal situation, our puppy is not barking, not growling, they're able to eat, and they're able to respond to really, really basic cues, such as looking at you when they say when you say their name. Um Eventually, I will probably start actually layering in some slightly more advanced cues. So we're not just asking the puppy, "Hey, can you eat and can you respond to my marker, my click, your name right now?" I might actually start saying, "Hey, can you can you touch my hand when I ask you to? Can you sit when I ask you to? Can you shake? Can you lie down?" Um, and that is that's kind of a framework based on Sarah Stremming's worktop program, which I will link to in the show notes. Um, it's an amazing program and she kind of does this this multi-step arousal testing. But again, so if at any point your puppy is barking or growling or can't eat or can't respond to you in some way, that lets us know that we're too close. And that's not a big deal. That's okay. Even if your puppy is barking and growling, that's okay. Just move away from the person. Do what you need to do to get out of the dodge. Do what you need to do to calm your puppy down. If you can't calm your puppy down, just scrap the training session and go home. That's okay. Go home, cuddle your dog, play with your puppy. Um, If you can um kind of save the training situation and your puppy seems to be able to kind of shake it off take a deep breath stretch it out and they're okay you can go back and try again but this time give your puppy more distance between you and the trigger one of the other things to keep in mind here is that progress is not likely to be linear you're likely to have to, um, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days. And then the other thing to keep in mind is not all people are created equal. Just as I may be more nervous um, with one type of person following me down a dark alley than I am with another, so if I'm being followed by, like, an eight-year-old female child down down a dark alley, I'm more likely to be concerned for her than anything else, versus if I'm being followed by a group of tall dudes in military fatigues, I'm probably pretty freaked out. Your puppy is also going to have opinions about different types of people, and it's important to take note of that to help make sure that you're um, adjusting your training accordingly. So I know for my puppy Niffler, kids are really scary, and big men are also really scary. So I've been trying to take him to Tractor Supply and a couple of our other, other stores where I can introduce him to a lot of men, and I've actually just not really been dealing with the child question right now because it's so hard for me to find kids. kids where I really kind of trust that they're going to listen to me and not scare him further. So we're just kind of ignoring kids for now and we're dealing with everything else first. Um, And you may notice the same, you know, you might notice some patterns with your dog. Um, generally, also, our dogs are going to struggle more with groups of people. They're going to struggle more with people who are moving quickly or erratically. They're going to struggle more with people who are approaching them directly, or in some cases, people who stop and stare. So sometimes puppies um, and dogs can handle someone walking past them just fine, but as soon as that person turns to look at them or tries to engage with them in any way, that freaks them out. So all of that. That is really quite normal and make sure that you're taking that into account as you're um, doing your training so you can instruct the people appropriately based on what is challenging for your puppy and you can also try to gauge um, what your puppy's reaction is likely to be based on your puppy's history and the people that are being presented and again you're going to mess up occasionally it's it's okay um try to minimize it but um but don't beat yourself up if your puppy has a big reaction to someone because you've mis- misjudged your training shake it off try again the no- try again tomorrow So, the big thing that Niffler and I are working on is kind of giving him enough distance and giving him lots of treats when he has a good interaction with people. If he has a bad interaction with people, I do calm him down however he needs. Um, He's still, even though he's six months old and 37 pounds, sometimes wants to be carried when he's really freaked out by a person. Um, So, I will let him jump up on me and I will carry him away from that that person if that's what he needs because I want him to always know that I am safe and that I am always a safe place for him to come back to. At some point, he might get big enough that I'm not able to carry him away from people, although I hope not. Um, my other dog, Barley, is about 47 pounds, so about 10 pounds bigger, and I could still carry him if I needed to, um, although I'd really rather not. Um, And again, yeah, I just, I really want my puppy to always know that I am safe to be around. So that's part of why I I make sure I never punish my puppy for having a big emotional fear reaction to people. But I also will always comfort them if need be. I try not to make a big deal out of people. So I try to remain relaxed and calm myself, relaxed, calm, friendly. Um, But, uh, you know, I do want my puppy to just feel really comfortable based on my behavior with those people. So I hope that's really helpful for you guys kind of thinking about stranger danger, where it comes from, what we can do about it, how we can help our puppies through it. And if you've got more questions, I would love for you to join us over on Patreon. Give me your thoughts, ask some questions, and we'll do a follow up on this episode um, if we have more questions or more, more things that people want to explore. All right, so um, again, my name is Kayla Fratt. You can find me at journeydogtraining.com. You can sign up for that awesome puppy raising blueprint course at journeydogtraining.com blueprint. You can support us on Patreon um, for as little as three bucks a month, and you can join the free Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook um, if that's something that you are interested in. We'll be back next week with more amazing information on raising our puppies, and hopefully in the future we will have some follow-up on Stranger Danger.